driven for miles to be here, and I want to personally express my appreciation to you, my old friends of yesteryears, and you made friends. Anyway, we're glad you're all here. The congregation, of course, shares my feelings about that, so we're just glad you're here. We have in our midst tonight two gospel preachers, Brother Alan Bonifay and Brother Raymond Fox, and others, perhaps, whom I'm not noting at this moment, but we're glad you're here anyway. I want to read for you this evening from uh, the sixth chapter of the book of Luke, and I'll begin reading with verse 13. And when, uh, let me begin with verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named Apostle, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Altheus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. That'll be enough of our reading for this evening, and at this time we wish to go to God in a word of prayer. Let us pray. The world had drifted so far away from God, the world was lost. And in order for the world to be saved, the world must get in communication with God, the Father, again. God was dealing with his people. God was moving his people along toward the hope of salvation, which would be Jesus Christ, his Son. The prophets had prophesied down through the ages that this one would come in whom all of our uh, attention and salvation must be focused. Finally, John the Baptist came upon the scene and began to preach. But finally, this one was born. A key passage is Galatians 4 and 4, where the Apostle Paul sums it all up in one verse and says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That, as I say, sums it all up. Jesus came. Jesus was born into this world. That was the focal point of the ages, you might say. We all know that Jesus Christ was finally settled in the little village of Nazareth, up in the land of Galilee, and there he was abiding with his mother, with his father, and finally with his brothers and sisters. Well, he waited there. He waited God's time. He waited the signal from his Father in heaven. But he was in preparation all this time. So far as I know, the Father of Jesus Christ, the foster father, if you might say that, had passed away because no scholar mentions him from then on, and all think that he probably had deceased. Jesus was plying the honest trade of a carpenter. He knew what it was to have an aching back. He knew what it was to have a calloused hand. He knew what it was to labor. And I resent the artist of the day who tried to picture him as some sissified individual who didn't know anything about the outdoors nor uh, hard labor or real manhood. 
He was everything but that. He bent over a carpenter's table and he worked and he plied this trade, stacking immortal honor upon labor. Probably that's the reason why in the 11th chapter of the book of Matthew in the great invitation, he issued his call to these people first. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Down south something was taking place now, almost a hundred miles away roughly. A man chosen by God in a special providential way was standing on the banks of the Jordan River preaching the baptism of repentance. I really don't know how this all came about. I wish I did. But I just think that finally this man, signaled by God in heaven, stepped out there by the wayside at a ford on the Jordan River and began to preach. Somebody stopped by one day and heard him. They went on and told somebody else and they came. They told somebody else and they came. And on and on it went. Caravans coming from the south of the country and going through the city of Nazareth up yonder no doubt told of this incident. Or maybe it was a communication directly out of heaven. I don't know. But at any rate, it was time to go. Jesus kissed his mother goodbye, pushed the tools back on the carpenter's beach, and walked that long distance to the River Jordan. As he walked up that day, a throng stood out before that great preacher and listened. And little wonder, for that's one of the greatest preachers that ever walked upon the top side of God's green earth. Jesus said one time, of all the men born of a woman, there's never been one greater than John the Baptist. And I certainly agree with him on that. The people hung upon his words while he spoke to them of their sins and told them of the impending damnation that awaited them unless they repented. And they came back for more. And they heeded it. You know, it doesn't bother people for you to tell them about their wrongs. I don't know where these preachers have gotten the idea that you're supposed to stand up in the pulpit and pussyfoot around and just talk about little platitudes and sweet little devotion things. People want to be told of their wrongs. That's the reason why preachers are preaching. If you want to get a show, go somewhere else. Jesus was preaching, and they liked it. Or rather, John the Baptist was preaching. He walks up in that crowd one day, and John, who had absolutely faced the Roman legionaries, John, who had confronted everybody, was absolutely amazed and astounded when he looked out there and saw that one. He knew him. People had come out to hear John preach. I'm always amazed at the crowds. I wish I had time to talk about the crowds. That would be another sermon. But just briefly, let me note, mention that some came out, the soldiers came marching out for one thing, and they stood on the riverbank. He had attracted people. Now, I'll tell you, great preachers had brought the people from the country to the city, Talmadge, Moody, Spurgeon, Graham, others, but this one brought the cities, brought the, brought the cities to the country, and they stood and listened at him preach while he crashed over their head with one thunderbolt of condemnation right after another. The soldiers said, what shall we do? He said, be content with your wages and do violence to no man. That would pretty well uh, take care of a soldier's soldiering, wouldn't it? I'd think so. The only people I know of that he really refused to baptize were those pious-mouthed people who thought they were too good already. They came out thinking they had Abraham to their father and they didn't need anything. 
Well, he knew better. He said, don't say in your heart that we've got Abraham to our father. Don't say you've never been in bondage to anybody. If God wanted seed to Abraham, he could just raise them up from these stones along the riverbank here. If that's what you're talking about and thinking about, go back and do works meet for repentance. During all of this time, Jesus came and, as I said, walked up in the midst. John just, I think his voice fell quiet. He said, there stands one in your midst today whom you know not, whose shoe latchets I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. The crowd shifts him a little bit. This one walks up in the presence of John, standing there, open yet proud youth from the hill country of Galilee. And John is overwhelmed. He who could face everybody else, he felt so little and unworthy in the sight of this one. He said, I'd need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus said, Suffer it to be so now, to fulfill all righteousness, calmly stating it. I don't have any sins. I know that this is an exception to the rule, but make an exception this time. Because I'm setting an example for all men for all ages to come. And the Bible says he suffered it. He took our Savior down into the waters of that river and lowered his sinless body beneath the waves and lifted him up again. He stood there with the water streaming with his baptism like you've seen countless people do in your lifetime in the church. And while he stood there so humble, a voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And at that moment, God dispatched the Holy Spirit out of the heavens in the form of a dove, and it lighted upon him. Somebody said it thundered. Somebody standing by said, an angel spoke to him. Well, he went into the wilderness, the Bible says. He was driven into the wilderness. And there he wandered all these days among the sand dunes, and the Bible says, and the wild beast. Every temptation that you will ever bear was thrust at the sinless breast of the Son of God there, and he repelled them every one. He went there, though, as a man, just like you and I go as a man. He didn't go there with any helps beyond what you have and beyond what I have. Because how could he be our leader if he went there with some extra protection and resisted the, Holy, the temptations with extra protection from God and then looks at me and says, follow me. Well, I don't have that extra protection, so I couldn't follow him. So he went there like a man, just like you. And he resisted it all and showed man that the devil could be resisted. He walked away from there, and as he walked up the banks of the Jordan River, he saw John baptizing again, and John saw him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Two disciples who had been following John left that day and started following Jesus. They said, Master, where dwellest thou? He said, Come and see. Foxes have holes, fowls of the air hath not hath nest, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He said, come and see. And they went where Jesus dwelt that day and spent the day. Have you ever contemplated the idea of going home with Jesus and spending a day? Their lives were changed. Well, he selected these two men. He went on in a little while, selected some more, Nathaniel, others. And then, of course, he started out on his public ministry that we call it. And people began to throng after him. And many people began to believe on him. And crowds began to follow him by the hundreds around over the country. The crowd soon became so unwieldy until he just couldn't handle the crowds, really. And he had to do something else because he was really coming for a particular, singular purpose. 
And we want to notice this because tonight we're going to mention to you the fact that God has a definite plan in your salvation. Now that's something the world knows nothing about tonight because it's a harem scarum way with them in salvation. They believe they can just stop down yonder anywhere and get down and kneel and talk to God and that's it right there. God will save them. Another one can go do something else. That's not the idea, ladies and gentlemen. God worked out a specific plan by which mankind could be saved. And I'm going to show you the best I can how it was initiated right here. After so long of a time, after these crowds, great throngs began to follow him from place to place, Jesus decided that the time had come for him to show forth his kingship to a certain extent, and he was called the king. The prophets referred to him as the Messiah, the coming king. I know he came so unlike a king, an earthly king. He was not born in a palace. He wasn't wrapped in fine clothes. He didn't ride in a chariot. He didn't have servants attending him. That we freely admit. But he had come to be a king. Isaiah had said, My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord, neither my thoughts your thoughts. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. That we uh, certainly admit. But during his lifetime, he made manifest the fact that he was a king. I know in John 18 and 37, when he stood before Pilate, Pilate said, Art thou a, a king? And Jesus said, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. So Jesus Christ, of course, was the king. And he came to lead people heavenward. But one time, up yonder in Galilee somewhere, he went out to a mountain to pray, the Bible says, and he prayed all night. Jesus liked the mountains. You know, we talked about mountains the other night. This is one of the uh, uh, points that we uh, should have mentioned. He prayed all night. As Dr. Farrell says, out there with his hair wet from the heaven, dew of heaven, amidst the barking of the jackals in the distance over yonder, the hooting of the night owls, and in cradled in the arms of nature, he was all alone. And he loved to be alone because he could talk to his father undisturbed and unmolested. And he did that so often. He who could stop the winds, he who could raise the dead, he felt the need of talking to his father. And he did. All night he prayed. The next morning, though, when day was come, the disciples come to him. A great throng of disciples come up to that mountain and he sat down upon a little uh, a rock yonder somewhere on that mountainside and began to do something very, very special. Out of that crowd, he began to select his cabinet, the men who would serve him, the men who would be in his immediate presence and attend unto the things of the kingdom. Out of that vast crowd of mul uh, the multitude, he selected those. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. I say again, this was his cabinet. You know, a man has to have a cabinet. Our president selects his cabinet. Sometimes he's a long time in selecting it. Well, Jesus did it all in one uh, moment there. He did it all at one time. This is also, these people are also called ambassadors. 
in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the apostle Paul, who was a late, late-born apostle, he says, neither then, he says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead or on behalf of Christ, be you reconciled to God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's one of those passages that applies to the people of that day. You and I are not ambassadors for Christ. They were ambassadors for Christ because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and absolutely had the message, the only message that could do man any good, and they were the prime ambassadors. Now, if you want to call yourself an ambassador in a second or third sense by representing the Lord and his kingdom in this world, I don't think you do any violence to the thought, but these are the principal ambassadors for the kingdom, the apostles of Jesus Christ. And let me read them to you again because this is the most unique group of men that ever lived up on the top side of God's green earth. And the people who claim they can get salvation directly from God tonight are circumventing these men. And God doesn't like that. Jesus Christ chose these men to be your ambassadors. And you, if you get salvation, must get it through their words and through their administrations because that's the way Jesus planned it. And that's the way God ordered it. Well, he chose Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, of course, who by transgression fell and was supplanted by another one. Of course, now we have his cabinet here. We have these men, his special men, the king's men, if you please. You've heard that phrase before, doubtless read something or heard something in the literary world that makes you think of this, but at least this is the way it was. Now then, for these men to do his work, they must be prepared. They can't go out just like you and I today with no more help than we've got because some of the things that they're going to undertake are going to be things that are very, very complicated and serious and meaningful because this has to do with the salvation of the whole wide world. You talk about some men who stood in a, in a very, very august situation. These men did. I don't think they really realized it themselves. And maybe they didn't realize it until they finally get over yonder in glory because the 17th chapter of the book of John, the Bible says Jesus prayed, Father, let these men, let them whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. He was talking about those men. Those men who someday believed in him, who someday doubted him. Those men whose faith sometimes was as high as a mountain, and the next day was as low as the sea. He said, Father, I want you to let me take them to glory with me, and I want you to let them look upon me when I sit upon my throne with my crown upon my head in my glorified state. Then they'll know. There's a lot of things we won't know till then. But back to the story. These men are prepared. Now, the reason these men are prepared, the way these men were prepared was because God gave them the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of preaching his word when he left this world down here, you see. And also he gave them the power of the Holy Spirit so they could speak to people with whom they were not even acquainted with and in languages that they couldn't even speak. That was the purpose of it. Let me read you in the 16th chapter of the book of, of John. Hear these words. 
Jesus says, but now I go to my, my go, I, but now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, is it, ex it is expedient for you that I go away? For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. But there will be a time shortly when you'll be able to bear it. Because when the Father sends the Holy Spirit to you, you'll be able to bear it, and you'll be able to understand it, and you'll be able to take it on after I'm gone. So he continues, All he shall glorify me. Uh, how be it, rather, how be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, and uh, shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Now, while I'm dwelling right here on this passage, I want to just stop, stick a pen right here, and talk about this for a moment. You are constantly flooded with Holy Ghostism. There are some people that that's all they can preach is the Holy Ghost. If they open their mouth, it'll be the Holy Ghost they'll talk about. They'll put a sign out under this is a Holy Ghost church. And they'll have a TV program, and they'll tell you it's a TV program. Uh, it's a Holy Ghost uh, uh, program. And Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost is all you're going to hear. And they'll tell you that that's the case with me because we've all got the Holy Ghost, and we've been baptized with the Holy Ghost. Well, they're just as wrong as they can be. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes to these men, that Holy Spirit's going to talk about me. That Holy Ghost is going to glorify me. And you're going to hear about me. Now, the men who are really guided by the Holy Spirit, whether miraculously or through the Word of God, are the men who are going to go around preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified and the truth. Those people who are always babbling around about the Holy Ghost are just as far from the truth as they can possibly be, and they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, if I know anything. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So Jesus Christ gave them that, or rather the Father did, and sent it. Did you ever wonder, wonder why in the 14th chapter of the book of John, in the first verse, Jesus begins that chapter by saying, Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me, and so on. The reason why he addresses them thus is because he knew that their hearts were burdened and their hearts were heavy, and they felt rather forsaken over the prospect of living in this world without Jesus because he had mentioned the fact that I'm leaving you and I'm going away. And they couldn't quite get the concept of something coming in his stead to guide them yet. So they felt disturbed. They felt confused. They were troubled. And Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. And the reason why was because something's going to be sent. Someone's going to be sent who will guide you and bring back to your mind everything I told you so you can relate it and tell it to the world. Over there in the 17th chapter of the book of John, we find where Jesus 
prayed to the Father the night before he died upon Calvary's cross, and he prayed to them, and he says to them, I have given them the words which thou gavest me. He's talking about the apostles, the king's men, if you please. I've given them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. All right, from now on, you'll be listening at the apostles after I leave this world. And so he endowed them with the Holy Spirit. Now, when uh, the Holy Spirit was given, it was given for a specific purpose. It wasn't given to uh, chase out alcohol demons. And it wasn't uh, given to melt goiters and do other things. It was given for the purpose of conveying the Word of God so man could be saved. You see, God, God the Father, has absolute authority, primary authority. Now, those who hold primary authority can delegate that authority. And so he delegated to his son, Jesus Christ. He has delegated authority. Now then, Jesus Christ, when he got ready to leave this world, as I told you, he chose these 12 men to carry his work on. So that's the apostles. They have delegated authority. But it stops right there. They can't delegate it any farther. Nobody gets anything from God directly after that right there. Now, when God, gave the Holy, when God gave this message to his son, Jesus Christ, that was no problem because the son was just as divine as the father. And there could be no mistake. Jesus couldn't make a mistake. He never made a mistake. God the father, of course, is truth. He never made a mistake. So there's no problem there. But when Jesus Christ gave it to his apostles, we've got a problem we've got the human element to deal with. Those men were just like you and I am tonight. They were human. There was a prospect of making a mistake. There was a danger of them not getting it all correctly. And you know, that would, that would have a, a problem with our salvation over here. Now, this word is to be given because this word is the only thing that's going to save us. The Father is sending his word down here to the world. Now, Paul calls it the gospel in Romans 1 and 16 when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Show you that that's the case. He said, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So, in order for the apostles to get the word, the message, the gospel, whatever you want to call it, in a correct way, and make no mistake, the Holy Spirit was sent right here. And it conveyed it from, the, from Jesus to these men. And they got it. And we have it right here tonight in this book called a Bible. And it's perfect. Now, before these men died, the Spirit guided them to write. So they sat down with their quill in their hands and began, began to write, guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we have it tonight in book form. We have it right here that you can read and you can understand. And it's just as important here tonight as it was when they spoke it right here. In fact, it's the same thing. Now, there are many people tonight who don't want the Bible, but they want some more of the Holy Ghost. They're always wanting the Holy Ghost. What do you want it for? What do you need it for? It brought you what God planned for it to bring you, this right here. Now, Peter, when he spoke about that, he wrote it down in his epistle. He said, according as, as, according as I, it says, divine power hath given unto us, us, the apostles, 
the king's men, according to his divine power, hath given unto us, listen, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, what was he talking about? He was saying that God had given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Where? In the writings of the Holy Spirit. And we have it here tonight. And the Apostle Paul says, of course, all Scripture, Scripture, get that down, it comes from the word script, which means to write. It's not all, but it's written. It's script. So you're not going to hear it tonight. Jesus is not going to talk to you tonight. Jesus is not going to speak peace to your heart tonight. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. What? The Holy Spirit. That the man of God may be perfect. That word perfect means complete. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, that was going to give us the perfect thing for admonition, for instruction, for uh, in righteousness, and so on and so forth. So then tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we have it all right here. And we don't need anything else. That's the way it was brought to us. And that's what we have it tonight. Now, that's God's plan for the ages. You see, these men were baptized with the Holy Ghost. And there are little two-by-fours walking around on the earth tonight claiming I've been baptized with the Holy Ghost. What's God going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost for? What's God going to baptize Oral Roberts with the Holy Ghost for? What's his business anyway? What's he out for? Why, these men, the king's men, were for that purpose. And let me tell you right now, there's no other little fellow running around going to get that. These men are unique. And everything they said is in this book right here. And you're not going to get anything anywhere else for your salvation. And I know a lot of church members that need that thought. So there it is. Now to show you that that was the case, after these men received this, after Jesus went away, they were the only ones who had the message that could tell people what to do to be saved, and God was very particular about them. You see, one time in the city of Jerusalem, there was a dispersion and all the people were driven out. Just a few apostles were left. Just a few of the king's men were left. The others were out in various parts of the country preaching. Peter was there. Old Herod had reached forth his hand and had slain James, and he thought it pleased the people so much and he thought he'd try Peter, you know. So he put Peter in prison for preaching this gospel. And the church got together over at the house of John Mark and were praying for him that night. Not praying for his release, no sir. Praying that he would hold out faithful. This plan was so wonderful in that day. This plan was so all-important until people didn't consider their feelings and his arrangement for salvation, and here it is. Peter was there in prison. And even I don't read where Peter was fretting too much. It's wonderful that these men were so endowed with the Spirit until they realized their purpose in life. The best I can understand from that marriage is that Peter just cuddled up in a corner and went to sleep that night in that jailhouse, in that great, massive place. But God didn't want him in that jailhouse. Why? God wanted him out of that jailhouse. Why? Just to relieve his physical suffering? Just so he could go home and throw a party and have a big time, go swimming the next day? Or no, not that. He wanted him out of that jailhouse because he's the only man left in Jerusalem that had that message. 
And that message had to be told. And nobody else was there that had it. So let me tell you one thing right now, that right out of heaven's glory, God sent an angel that night. And that angel came and stood right beside Peter and said, Get up, Peter. Peter looked and there stood an angel. Peter stood up and those chains just fell off of him. He said, Follow me. He walked right over there to that first big gate. When he did, that gate was swung open. Somebody pushed a button up in heaven and he walked on toward that great big gate out yonder. And it swung open. They walked through and it swung back to him. Why? Peter has to go preach. He's got the Holy Spirit guiding him. And he's the only man that's got the message that could save those people in Jerusalem. So when he got him on the outside, he said, You go down yonder and stand in the temple and speak unto the people all the words of this life. And so he went down and did that. Now, if you think there weren't some surprised people the next morning when they looked in that jailhouse and they went to get their prisoner, it was empty as a gourd. And there was nobody in there. And I'd imagine these jailers had quite a job explaining it to the officials that they really did put him in there. But Peter was down there speaking all the words of this life because the words of this life is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God and salvation. That's the only thing that could save man. And that's what they had to have. Nothing and nothing else. So tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that gospel has been given to you and it's been given to me. And it comes down through the hands of these men. I have given them the words which thou gavest to me. And those words teach us that I must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repent of my sins, confess my faith in Christ, and be baptized for the remission of my sins. And these words will be here, and they'll stand here as long as the world stands. And that's not all. When this world is on fire, and when it's all over, and when we stand before God on the day of judgment, these words, the words of the king's men, will judge you in the last day. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The words that I speak unto you, the same will judge you in the last day. And of course, the way we get those words and read those words is in this book right here. These men are, are very unique people, like I said, and I want to talk to you a little bit about them. Christ had a great love for these men. As I said, sometimes they didn't always understand. Sometimes Jesus had to rebuke them because of their unbelief. But Jesus trained them and taught them and led them. And one by one, they paid the supreme price for their work. All of them died a martyr's death except the Apostle John. We preached about him last Sunday and showed you how he alone was left, how he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And then he came back to the mainland and died over at the church at Ephesus, so far as we know. But we read over there in John 17 and 24 when Jesus Christ was praying to his father after he had lived his life down here and was about to die and pass on. And he was uh, thinking about these men, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me from the foundation of the world. There it is. Christ had a great love for these men. The least we can do is to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the gospel that was written down by these men. And you won't get anything else in this world. You'll never get another word from the Lord except the word written by these men. And people had just as well be satisfied with it. Now you see, when you understand God's plan and God's way, don't you see this takes care of those fellows who claim and think they saw the Virgin Mary's picture over yonder on a barn gate somewhere or something? Or some revelation that they got from God last night? God's not going to give you any revelation. God's not going to give anybody any revelation because God's already given revelation to these men. We live our lives faithfully unto Jesus all the days of our life here in this world. And we die, and we've been promised salvation, and we've been promised a home in that eternal city which hath foundation. But I want to say one thing in closing tonight, and that's this. You won't ever forget these men. Because when you get home to glory, and when you walk the street of that celestial city, you're going to be reminded of these men right here. Because I read over there in Revelations 21 and 14 where the record says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Are these men important? These men are important. Have you obeyed the gospel as revealed to you tonight by the work of the king's men that's the only way you'll get it and that's the only thing that's right now any creed written by some other group of men does nothing to it scripture is scripture this is it we're going to sing the song of invitation if you've never obeyed the gospel that has been conveyed to us through these words then we ask you to come forward tonight and let your desires be made known while we stand together and while we sing we thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.